0: Ooh. Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we sit down and talk with marketing thought leaders and experts on the issues and topics of interest to marketers and business leaders everywhere. I'm Anton Bushner with a special conversation on the rise of artificial intelligence and the impact it's having on business and marketing. To discuss this, I'm sitting down today with Henry Innes. Henry is the Chief Strategy Officer and founder of Mutiny. Welcome, Henry. Thanks, Anton. Now, before we jump into it, I know your background a little bit. We met, I think, uh, first when you were at Edge. Well, it was probably my first advertising job. I think you met me in in the world of what content marketing and CM yeah, was yeah. A, a big buzz and trend. Uh, you've been an angel investor advisor. You've been through a couple of different agencies, VML, YNR. I think you're on the STW High Performers program. Hot shot. Years ago, years <laughs> ago, yeah. You're making me feel my age now. But most importantly, I noticed you're the director of the Dangar Island Bowling Club.
1: Oh, ex-director,
0: I think. Ex-director. She'll... Ex-director. How does one become... Firstly, where is Dangar Island and how does one become a... your age? You don't look completely grey just yet. Well, you, you the know... bowling. You know, when you're on a... Uh, when you're on someone like, someone like Dangar Island,
1: there's not a lot to do, Anton. Ooh. So you kind of get caught... In this funny place where uh, if you don't play bowls, you don't play the local sport. So that's the social integration that's aspect. That's the social integration aspect of Dangar Island, which is a little island, a um, little slice of paradise on the Hawkesbury River, um, about an hour north of Sydney. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. I try to go back there as as much as work permits, but
0: um, but it's very much my home. Do you think that's given you the skill set for marketing, aiming at a ball and, uh, <laughs> uh, and bowling down and trying to knock oh, yeah. others out of the way? Well, well a tra- I, think, uh, I think it's
1: aiming the ball that's going on a curve away from everything that you want it to is probably a good
0: analogy <laughs> for marketing. Let's follow that trajectory. Sorry <laughs> for the pun. Um, let's bring it back. So... I'd love to know maybe your your view on AI. So we're interviewing different business leaders um, and would love to know your view on what is artificial intelligence in the business or marketing space. Well, I think, I, I think it's worth noting that
1: a lot of the techniques that we're talking about today have been around for 30, 40 years. Yeah. Um, this is not, a lot of this stuff isn't brand new types of stuff. It's um, it's the types of techniques, mathematical and statistical uh, techniques that we, we have used for decision analytics for years and years and years. I think yeah. the difference over the past three years has kind of been two things. One, it's been the route rise of the cloud, which has changed that from being uh, a very, very time-consuming and laborious process to one where we can speed up the processing time of these models very, very quickly. Mm. And the second thing has been some advances on... Uh, on another frontier, which is because we're able to speed up that processing time, those combinations and things like that, start to combine lots of different models very, very quickly, we're able to enable things like deep learning where the technology is selecting the model and the statistical boundaries that are being used within the model, mm. whereas prior, we kind of had to retrofit and I guess guess which technique was going to give us the best answer and, pr- and try to set or test the statistical boundaries quite manually. Yeah, it was a slower test and learn process, wasn't it? Correct, correct. So what AI what what AI really is linked to more than the techniques is it's the application of the cloud which has sped up the speed to insight so dramatically that mm. that you know suddenly we we have access to a lot more insights and a lot more fluidity on that. And I mean a great example of that is the world of market mix modeling, something that we do mm-hmm. extensively. Um, the world of market mixed modelling uh, used to have to focus on one or two things. It was based around a multivariate regression model where you had to set your own parameters and things like that on, you know, how long an ad would last, all those kinds of things. Mm. We're now able to put those in uh, and that that process as well. It would take, as you would know from years and years ago, it would take, a year, maybe 18 months even to get to get that view. They were long projects. They were very long projects. And even to then take that view and make that view look forward, it was very, very difficult. It was a retrospective benchmarking exercise, Absolutely. not a predictive exercise. So what we're able to do now because of the cloud is, you know, as an example, um, and I don't want to harp on about us too much, but um but but kind of we can take all of that client data in the cloud, we can build that into a deep learning model that sits in a neural network. We're able to process all of that client's data. The model will set the statistical boundaries for us, and then we can use that to forward look for clients. So as new data comes in, model updates, and the client can then... uh, Look at hypothetically mapping out kind of the different points at which. So, if I invest 500,000 here, what will the result be? Mm. If I reduce my budget by 100,000 in television, what will the result be then? And what will my impact on sales and brand metrics and other target variables be? Mm. To do that kind of modeling, you could have done it 30 years ago, um, but it would have been very, very very hard to do and time-consuming to do, and you probably would
0: have needed 400 FTE headcount. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that really started in the either the research department mm. uh, or came out of the data stroke CRM type department. Correct, yeah. Where they said, let's go away and do some market mix modelling amongst a bunch of other techniques, as you said, um, which is fascinating because I think at the, at the bottom of all of that ends up being data. Mm. So... It's only as good as the data coming into the model, what you're actually going to get out of a model. Mm, 100%. And I think that's one of the things we always – one of the things that's underlooked in,
1: in day, data and whether or not businesses are kind of AI ready and things like mm. that is, is your data verified? Is it trusted? Is it in the correct time series? Is it structured in a way that's readable and understand, uh, understandable? Is it labelled correctly? Is there some consistency so that if you have mm. one vendor executing something for you versus another, are they bringing that into the same
0: consistent data set so that you at least have a clear master view of your business? Which often you're not seeing, are you? You're seeing completely different schemas or structures. That's uh, right. And data sets. That's right. So, I mean, a great example of that is the schema that a media
1: agency will run versus a creative agency. You know, yeah. their, their schemas and their ways of looking at the
0: world are probably completely divergent. So how are you solving that problem or seeing solutions to that problem through AI? So uh, that's not an AI problem.
1: Mm. Um, that's a human problem. Mm. And AI is only, to your point, is only as good at what, what you put in. I think, you know, if you're a business looking to get mm. into the AI space, you firstly have to go through the process of, is my data ready to have that applied to it. And the way that you solve that is by taking an enterprise view on data, an enterprise view on what you do and don't want to solve for, what businesses you do and don't want uh, what business units you do and don't want to look at, mm. and what are the attributes that you were looking at and the factors and the variables. You have to clean all of that up before you can even start to think about AI, which is funnily enough why I think the the best businesses that do this really really well have a very clear view on their enterprise-level data, yeah. um, not just... And, and then they're applying AI. It's the businesses that get it wrong, go, I want AI, before they have an enterprise view on data.
0: Yeah, it has been traditionally very hard, as you know, you know the, the, the legacy uh, data systems, databases, the lack of a centralised data mart for most um, silo-based companies mm. has been very difficult to pull that into a single customer view.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think, again, I come back to the cloud here... the the cloud is making great strides in that space. So, you know, I look at the rise of AWS, the rise of Google Cloud or GCP, as I always call it, but I don't want to bombard everyone with acronyms. Um, The rise of Microsoft Azure, amongst Mm -hmm. others. they have an incredible capacity to unify data and be fairly agnostic in the data lake as to what is coming in. Of yeah, yeah, which is quite unique. Again, if you go back three years, you didn't have that, and mm. that and that made it very very hard to your point to break down these silos and things like that. Now, again, you're talking about building blocks of AI. You know, firstly is having an enterprise view on data. Yeah. Secondly, is having a very, very strong cloud platform where you can bring those enterprise views of data together, so they can be manipulated, and you can put these models on the top of them. And again, I always—you might notice—I'm talking about AI as models. Mm. Um, I'm very much not talking about AI in this uh, generalist
0: sense that I think the industry likes to. Let's let's get on to that. So I just wanted to to cover that off. I'm glad you're. You're actually starting on data because we hear a lot of stories about starting with the tech and leading with technology discussions, mm. which, as you're saying, is really sort of completely the wrong way around because there's absolutely be great technology, sure, but it's only as good as the data coming in. And if the cloud is allowing a better uh, interpretation of all the myriad of inputs, mm. then you can make sense of it. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, you have to be able to make sense
1: of something to uh, to apply so, uh, apply something to it, and the, a model, the, yeah. the 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 analogy I give is if your data strategy is not right, it's a bit like asking someone who speaks English to then go and translate Chinese or Latin. Yeah. Um, with no prior knowledge, it's almost impossible for any machine or any human, for that matter, to make sense of it. And if your humans can't make sense of your enterprise data, how do you expect a
0: model and to make sense to. of it? Yeah, yeah. So there's learning number one. Still invest in the data strategy. Uh, we often ask clients, do they have a data strategy? Uh, it can be tumbleweed or quiet or <laughs> others have it. So, yeah, I think that's really critical to at least identify, uh, it could be a simplistic level or a complex level, of what data you want to utilise and how do you want to utilise it to achieve an objective. And, this, and the schema in which it's the kept. the schema. The yeah. schema. Um, and, you know... And, the thing I always find that's most
1: underestimated in getting that data strategy and schema right is what time series are you collecting in? Because... What do you mean by time series? So the frequency in which data is collected. And the, the analogy I give here is, again, and I don't want to pick on media too much because it's not very fair, but um, but when if you're only getting your media data back once a quarter, it's very, very difficult to then go and construct complex models to see cause and effect. Yeah. So... We always say to clients, be very conscious of that time series. Make sure you're getting things weekly, if not daily. Mm -hmm. The reason why (laughs) is because obviously that variance is absolutely critical to understanding and modelling different impacts of things. If you don't have a lot of variance in data,
0: it's very, very hard to understand cause and effect. Yeah, and it goes to the age-old problem of are you looking backwards, and we were talking about that earlier. Uh, Are you looking at data as looking backwards? Because as we all know, data is just an actual point where something mm. has happened, an interaction that pops up as a, as a piece of data that can tell you something. Um, but it's looking backwards. It's saying, well, somebody has done something, uh, clicked or commented or bought or whatever it might be, that shows up in the database. Correct. Um, the great challenge therein is to say, could I predict looking forward to say, based on all this interaction data, as you say, coming in daily or hourly or near to real time, um, what may happen as an ex-logical step. That's
1: right, and, and that's, where the, that's where these models become incredibly powerful if you get them right. You know, the one thing we know is that when a model has a low error rate, um, so typically we'll train a model on, on a subset of the data and then see if it completes with a low error rate, and yeah. if it does that, you know that you've got a statistical <coughs> likelihood of getting things right um, in the future. So what models can then do is they can then anticipate where things will happen. Now, that allows you to start to test hypotheses it starts you to make take lets you get and gives you license to take more calculated risks mm. um i think you know another thing i would always say about the marketing landscape in general is is science and data science in particular has always been about testing a hypothesis yes. and it, and it seems to me as if a lot of the marketing industry uses data quite reductively rather than to test hypotheses and go, well, if we did this, what would the consequences be? Mm. And and so it comes back to that other kind of age-old question, which is are you asking the right questions of your data? Yes. Um, and I think most people go, what look at the data as what can we kill rather than what can we build? Yeah. And, of course, other industries like shipping, logistics, um even finance to a degree, and the hedge funds are fantastic at this. Mm. If you look at the hedge fund industry, it's built off going, if we make this calculated bet, what's our risk profile? And I think that's how marketers have to look at and look at hedge funds as the model for, Mm. for how to use data in a way that complements humans, lets us take calculated risks, and actually accelerates creativity, doesn't inhibit it. Because I think there's also this great myth that creativity and data are Enemies, yeah, it should be know, interlinked, shouldn't it? And, and actually, data can be the perfect argument. And, um, and again, I know I'm meant to be talking about AI, but data and AI are kind of very, very linked. Data and the processing of it, which is AI, allows us to go to people like the CFOs and say, well, if we mm. make this bet, this is your risk profile. Mm. And having that more aggressive conversation, that numbers-driven conversation, which allows the industry to be bolder and braver, is something I get really excited about.
0: Yeah, I can, I can, I can hear it, which is great. And I'm sure our listeners can too. Uh, it touches on the area of actually defining marketing as well, before we get too deep into AI. Um, a lot of people touch on the comms side of it which is really just the outputs, whether, as you said, it's media or I'm so glad like you're talking about this, output. by the way. <laughs> but once he's still about marketing, you're starting to talk about what you're saying here is maybe market sizing or market potential or mar- new market opportunity. Correct. And, and, and also things like pricing, you yeah. know. You know, I, the, the one thing that um, a guy called
1: Mark Sariff, um who was uh, one of my uh, – a person who was very, very generous to me early on in my career, mm. um, and he always used to talk to us about the four Ps of marketing you know, how you had product, price, place and promotion. Mm. And it seems to me like a lot of where we focus our efforts is on on promotion. But, of course, understanding promotion in the context of place, in the context of price, in the context of product is also quite critical Mm. because if we don't understand, you know, whether it was the discount or the creative that drove the behaviour change... Um, it's going to be very, very hard for businesses to make decisions about where they can best make
0: better decisions around marketing. Yeah, and look, we've seen, I think, quite a bit in, in pricing AI tools or, or models or solutions being used for pricing. Oh. Ob- pricing testing, maybe. I think price optimization. Te- price optimization, yes. But the
1: impact on <coughs> price, on, say, creative performance and things like that, mm. I think linking those two things together is really, really important because... If you go out to market with a huge amount of discounts um, and also a brilliant emotional storytelling ad that's hard hitting that you put $100 million of TV behind,
0: mm.
1: was it the $5 that gave you the result, $5 off that gave you the result, or was it the beautiful ad? Now, I think it's very, very hard, unless you're combining those data sets, forming a comprehensive view, to model that. Yeah. Um and to model that effectively. And so what tends to happen is you have everyone discounting down here and everyone saying spend more money on the TV and ad production over here and no one's going, well, how do all these things work together? So is that attribution modelling at the end I of the day? I hate the word attribution. <laughs> um, I'm glad you do too because so it's is around. Because attribution is... Um, is I'm trying Isola- to, I, isolationist. I, I'm, I'm trying to say this in a way that's some polite to your listeners. Um <laughs> But it, it's some um, fudged mathematics. Yeah. Um, there you go. I got the kind of rhyming <laughs> word. Um, and, um, and I think, you know, the one thing that we always talk about in, at is we talk about propensity, uh, not attribution. It's about mm-hmm. modeling the propensity of something to impact, or the probability that it impacted. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why you use things like Bayesian statistics in your models. Um, so, so I think, att- whereas attribution is all about touch. Yep. Um, it's all about seeing what someone touched and assigning credits based on that. And so, to my mind, I think that you know when we're looking at ha- how to attribute or or how to link the probability that something impacted, we like to talk about it in the statistical sense, which is propensity of imp- or propensity or the m- impact in the model mm-hmm. um, rather than looking at kind of what someone touched because it's very, very difficult. To establish, just because, and, and you know,
0: SEM, yep. SEM, and retargeting—the classic examples there. Yeah, well, I mean, as you said, it's it's the way up between: do I spend on a big brand ad, or do I uh, give some sort of promotional offer down the end of the funnel? Which one converted? Correct. Now, we all know that you need to get some awareness to start with. Correct. Before I know about a product or a service or a, or a cause. Um, but it's been the great marketer's challenge to say, I'm not quite sure how much I need to spend there. And then, of course, the digital world, where it's made it so easy to see that last touch and last action, where people have gone, I can prove my search Well, works. I think
1: Google and Facebook have been marking their own homework. There's a reason they like attribution, right? Um, and that they, that, that they haven't really pushed the statistical modelling side of things. I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, Google could have come into this multi, this market mix modeling space and blown everyone away. Yeah, yeah. The reason they haven't is because ninety-seven percent of their business and their revenue comes from search, yeah. and it's convenient for them to have an attribution model. Um, they could blow our business out of the water in mm. ten minutes if yeah. they wanted to. They never will
0: because it will compromise what they're, they're trying mobile. to do. Yeah. Let's bring it back. Let's not get too banezy in on it. Not too <laughs> statistical, um, and just lift up to tell us a little bit about what you're doing. In the space, so I mean, Mutiny. We call ourselves a predictive growth
1: agency. Mm-hmm. Um, so we focus. Um, we're kind of we're kind of two businesses mixed together, I suppose, which is the best way to explain us. Um, uh, we have the product side, which we're very very focused on, where we build products to process data effectively. Mm-hmm. Then we have the services side, where it's effect- we effectively help people to get the best structure to leverage products and to leverage AI and build that capability uh, for themselves. I think, you know, I'm very much obsessed about capability in this space for clients rather than doing campaigns or projects and things like that, because I think embedding this capability for clients is going to mean two things and lot long term. I think, you know, what we're seeing for clients is if we get the AI and the prediction stuff right, they might be able to reduce FTE headcount on the boring stuff. Yeah. You know, data anal- analysts who are just sitting there compiling spreadsheets. Crunchy. and Crunching, yeah. 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 And we, we, we can start to shift that into far more thinking and creativity and push the dial in that kind of direction. So I think we, we do a lot of that kind of work with clients, getting that structure right. Yeah. We help them with market sizing. We help yeah. them
0: understand where opportunities are, all leveraging data. So Um, maybe as a touch to touch on as well uh, because capability is a really interesting area. mm, Um, We could probably do a whole podcast around it. Um, But I'd love to know a little bit about your capability and how you got your knowledge in the space and you and your team because that's – it's early days. mm, Um, And then let's talk about the marketer side where there's a lack of uh, capability and skills. So I think think for me I've just always been interested in
1: this space, you know, um, to go back to – a very old problem um, mm-hmm. that I first solved with AI was um, World of Warcraft. Um, so we, ha- when I was back in, uh, this would have been when I was when World of Warcraft first you came out. A wow, guru, are you? Uh, well, <laughs> I wouldn't say a wow guru, but um, <laughs> but I got so bored with um with leveling up the character because mm-hmm. it was one of the most boring and frustrating things to do. So of course, what I got into was learning. Python scripts to understand how to automate the character to follow the best path to level up. Magnificent. And uh, and so ended up leveling up all of these characters, and then ended up getting banned from banned from, by, banned say, from World that's of I Warcraft. How long did that last for? Look, we we
0: got away with it for about five weeks before they realised what we were up to. But um, any kids under the age of eighteen listening to this, please do not do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hopefully, um, that's not our target audience. But um and so that that was kind of my first interest in this space and you know
1: obviously I've come through the agency background and I think what I what I loved what I really loved was understanding how you could leverage data to make really smart decisions about the outcomes for clients and I think you know I and I think as a as a general rule what I saw the opportunity to do was to use data to build smarter and more predictive programs for clients mm. to be more precise about their investment and how they grow. Yeah. Um, I guess from a personal angle, I've always seen agencies as, a, as an angle to grow my own ambitions in the space. So perhaps I was never perfectly aligned mm. um, to the core business of the agencies that I've come through. But I think that's been a blessing and a curse when I've worked with them. I've always brought a very new perspective on things, but at the same time, um, at the same time, I'm never going to be the creative director making a big TV ad. But yeah, ne- yeah. nor have I wanted
0: to be. Sure. And are uh, you looking at the tech vendors uh, working with them closely off the shelf, or are you looking at building your own tools and solutions?
1: Uh so. So firstly, we, we build a lot of our own models and things like that, but they plug in natively to the AWSs, the Azures, the GCPs and all that kind of thing. So that's never an issue for us. So we work very closely with the cloud vendors. We know and understand how to work with those cloud vendors very, very well. I think when it comes to, you know, more specifically, the Salesforce's and the Adobe's of the world, we do do a bit, a bit of work on their stacks. We, we don't work with them as partners um, because we don't see ourselves as needing to operate in that space. We see them as holding and hosting data for us. And fundamentally, yep. those tech, tech vendors, those MarTech vendors, have uh, effectively standardised a lot of the tables and the measurements and the structures that data is held in, in that MarTech
0: space. Yeah, yeah. And what we're seeing also is the, this sort of challenge or opportunity. I'm not sure which way to pitch it, but uh, the tech... Companies leading the way in the conversation mm. and selling in a great solution, which may be, to your point about capability, for marketers, they're not quite there yet. So well, we, we have this over-hype or over-sale of what we, the opportunity is. We, we, we have this great saying at
1: Mutiny, which is one of our little trademarks, actually, mm. um, which is, we don't like MarTech, we like smart tech, which mm. is when... The people match the technology processes and they're getting the best out of each other and complementing each other. And going back to that issue of capability, that's having the right resources and people who understand how not just to implement technology, but how to strategically align it to the business um, and to the business needs. And if I I look at most of the technology landscape, I see there's a lot of implementation happening. There's a lot of great Mm. implementation. People are doing that really well. But I think understanding how to align that data stack and what that technology's capability is with regards to the data and the activity and the learnings and the insights that sit off it, mm. aligning that to a business need. So how can we test, you know, our brand ad before it goes out to make sure it's hitting the mark? How can we make sure something's communicating effectively? How can we make sure that we're capitalising on our audiences in an effective way? Mm. Um I don't see a lot of people articulating those kinds of strategic uses of technology outside of the existing feature sets, um, and, and that's and that's
0: a real opportunity, I think, for marketers. Yeah, I agree. Um, maybe share some of the conversations you're having with your marketers that you interact with, um, who, as we all know, have huge varying degrees of mm. capability in the space. Yeah, look, I, I think I think it
1: ranges. Um, so you know, so we have. We've done things like enterprise data strategies, um, so we've done a number of those, um, aligning data across the businesses, whether it be, you know, supply chain operations all the way through to marketing, all the way through to HR people and compliance. We've worked with a lot of marketers to get that right. We're working at the moment to um, use first party data um, for one particular uh, very large marketer, um, using first party data to activate um, their promotional engines and things like that in a very interesting and unique way. So, putting that very clear model to learn when certain external factors are impacting, when certain things are happening in the market, it's getting the right promotional offer into market effectively. That's had that's had huge impacts very early on and has been very very effective. The other good thing about that model it's it's reducing the headcount around tactical campaigns quite significantly. Yeah. Um, which means that they have to invest less in that and they can focus more on again the big, great creative things. Um, we've done a lot of market sizing. So I think, you know, one of the big areas is is how do we actually better understand the data and the profiles of people that are in market to understand the yield, the price points, um, the profitability and the eBit contribution mm. that might exist and then using systems to then
0: prioritise and build up and cluster different profile groups. So that would typically sit in a, in a business. Mm. So I'm wondering if the the capabilities, so typically a, a marketer or business would use an agency because it's a capability gap. Mm. And they say, let's use an external supplier, mm. an agency or whoever, uh, to plug that gap. So what you're talking about to me sounds like a lot of business uh, challenges and opportunities now being solved by agencies, external Partners, I'm interested in the conversation. Is it coming out of marketing or is it coming out of the CFO?
1: We we typically have that conversation with the C-Sweep. So mm. this, I wouldn't say that Mutiny is a particularly marketing-led business. We're a data-led business. Mm. Um, and we focus on understanding data as it stands to business problems and business growth, not data as it understands to advertising and marketing and comms down here. I think... I think to your point, there are a lot of businesses um, who do plug these capability gaps. These capability gaps typically have not historically been uh, filled by agency groups. They've been filled by McKinsey, Mm. Bain and BCG. Mm. But the challenge with those businesses is that the talent profile that they hire is typically MBAs and things like that, really, really smart people from really, really smart corners of the world. But I mean, one of my favorite quotes is software is eating the world. And the models that those MBAs used to construct and spend a lot of time analysing and building can now be built faster, better, and cheaper yeah. by software engineers. Yeah. And so that's the approach we take. We've, we're competing in their capability gap, but rather than competing with MBAs, we compete with software engineers.
0: Yeah, and you're getting a
1: much more real market life uh, application as opposed to theoretical Cor- Correct. Correct, and, and, and I think one of the things that, that we like to do, which leads to the technology part of the business, and, and something I like like to think that the market needs shift towards is we look to embed models um, and shift models to an always-on functionality, not a once-off functionality. Yeah. So it's constantly you've got an engine there, create constantly producing decision analytics, and that's a really really critical part of trying to get this mix right. Is is if you're building, I mean, the example I give is. If you build a model once, um, say, in 2019, and it's still working five years later, you can amortise that cost over those five years for a CFO or a CMO, and it's still delivering value to you five years on. And so that's an incredible benefit of taking this AI-led approach is you can start to build a lot of the decision um, mm. engine in a way that it becomes a capital
0: asset rather than an operating asset. Yeah, and, and then seen as real business value, not just a shiny, flashy new toy of marketing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's where we where we try to, sh-
1: try to shift the conversation to. Don't focus on implementing this new technology thing that's going to be flashy and things like that. Focus on building a model that's robust enough to last for 10 years on a data set that's then going to actually be able to predict and anticipate decisions for you and help you run your business at greater velocity and speed. Mm. I mean, one of the other key things that I, I love to talk about is, is the axes of what a good AI-enabled organization looks like. And I put it all down to decision-making. And mm-hmm. it's two axes like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a speed of decision and you have an accuracy of decision. And if you're up here, typically the machines are making lots and lots of the decisions for you. And the critical decisions are being made really, really quickly by humans. So mm. if you can use AI and if you think about AI as what does it deliver to the wider organisation in terms of value, um, it is speed to decision and accuracy of decision and getting those things to move and getting those things better and better and better and better. When you go out into the market, yeah. that then gives you a
0: decisive competitive edge because you can move faster than your competition. Fast and accurate. I yeah. think that's been the, the ultimate challenge, hasn't it? There's been a huge promise of AI uh, crunching massive amounts of data, whether that's machine learning and deep learning, all these other mm. terms, um, to bring out better patterns. But then those patterns need to tell you something, so it's mm. got to be an insight. Um, applying those insights to some sort of strategy, mm. that can then be tested uh, in real time and quickly, as you say, whether it's comms or whether it's some other marketing opportunity or business opportunity, uh, it's sort of almost nirvana. Mm. Um that's where you're trying to aim to. I get mm. that speed and accuracy. Uh, love to know some of the stumbling blocks. What's what's failing, or what, what have you learned along the way that's been a pragmatic learning? The number one thing is is the underlying data.
1: That is absolutely the not, a number one underlying issue we run into every time. Mm. Um, is the underlying data correct? Is it accessible? Is it collected in the right time series? All of those kind of elements. Um, Rarely is the model the problem. Um, Mm. In fact, I'd say 10%
0: of the time. So so how do you overcome with business leaders, C-suite, whoever you're dealing with, um, that conversation around, even if it's in the cloud, the data structure is wrong or we're only going to utilise it to 80%, whatever it might be. How are you overcoming those sort of conversations?
1: I think we just say you have to take an enterprise view on data. You have to restructure your data and restructuring Mm. data as well you know, data transformation isn't necessarily like tech transformation in the cloud. It can be done um, as long as you have the data in there. Um, there are ways to restructure it relatively quickly. We try to not make it be a a, a fifty per, a, you know a 50, a fifty person committee conversation. I think the other way to do it is to chunk it down by department um, and things like that. Because once it's in the cloud, getting alignment department by department. Um, getting that data right and understanding how it all fits together is an easier way to do it. And then stitching mm. it together through the tech and letting the tech come over the silos is sometimes a, a, a simpler way to do it than trying to get everyone to agree what the master data table will look like.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, fascinating. I mean, mm. it's, it's, it's an old uh, analogy I used to say or, or an acronym, Shisho. <laughs> I of my Shit in, shit out Oh, <laughs> it's <laughs> well, exactly right It hasn't changed since the 90s No, no And look,
1: I think um, The only thing that's changed is pace um, oh. You know And, and, and that's kind of where, where We try to get marketers to focus and, and where the opportunity lies If you can speed up the pace And accuracy of your marketing decisions Gosh, that's going to help a lot mm. of people And also it tells you I think the other thing that's worth noting is Sometimes data tells you what to keep consistent too, you know. So one of the things that we noticed was um, was there's a concept, obviously called creative decay. Um, now, creative decay mm. gets worse and uh, worse and worse and worse the more you change out big brand creative messages. So your half life of creative gets worse and worse and yep. worse. You can model that in the data. And sometimes, as I said to you before, data can be used to test a different hypothesis. So. Rather than us constantly having to optimize and change things, and which seems to be what all the um, AI cowboys are always saying, yeah. sometimes it'll tell it. you. Sometimes it'll tell you actually you don't need to change that,
0: mm. um, and that's an important part of it too. It's about testing hypotheses. Yeah. So if you're if you're in a sense always on, or if you're almost in real time mm. with these powerful machines now, um, there's a great challenge between you know the long termism versus short termism the pressure marketers have and business leaders have just to get sales. Um, I wonder whether AI is helping solve this or actually make it worse, that we're focusing far too much on the, the immediacy marketers have it's to be always on. It's an interesting one because I think that's driven by the digital economy
1: and how that's structured more than anything. It's driven by this, what I call the... The click economy, you know, mm. where we're all looking at CTRs and mm. and, and last click to attribution and all this other stuff that simply doesn't matter that much. Yeah. Um, the classic example I always look at is the one that uh, Brent Smart spoke about, which is, you know, he switched off a bunch of his retargeting, yeah. nothing happened, right? That doesn't surprise me in the slightest. And I suspect if the right data model had been applied, that would have come out very, very clearly and quickly. Yeah. Um that that wasn't actually making a huge impact. Um, Certainly, it would have been identified once he'd switched it off. The model would have picked up that it made no impact and and started to report a negative ROI and SEM. So I think there's an important uh, component of having the right model to understand the things that you're talking about. So if I look at it, a lot of the target variables, um, and when I say target variables, that's just the things you're kind of measuring yourself against um, when Mm -hmm. you're talking statistics. Um, a lot of those kind of elements have been um, have been very focused on a click or a last click attribution and things like that. So that's where the market naturally focuses on. And then when you put AI on top of that, it accelerates that because you're making those decisions faster based on that flawed data. Mm-hmm. So it's a faster decision on a more inaccurate decision.
0: Yeah, does that make it gets sense? Worse and worse. <laughs> it speeds
1: up the inaccuracy. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Um, so, and that's why it's so important to try and get your target variables right. So, one of the things that we solve for when doing that is we look at things like um, the key brand metrics across a three-year period and build that into a model because you can actually then start to say to a model. I want to get an optimum amount of sales whilst maintaining my brand metrics above this. Yeah, What's my best mix? So it's being very clear about
0: not only your objectives, but what are your success measures?
1: Kate yeah, what, 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 what are your success measures? How are they tracked in the data? How are they yeah. tracked in a regular time series? And leveraging that to start to accelerate, okay, my understanding of I need to keep these elements really consistent and strong. Um, in order to succeed, and I need to change this stuff down here quite frequently. So it might be promotion or conversion or discounting or price even. So it's about understanding how those elements work together, which is going to actually start to give us the defence and the defensibility and also the confidence as an industry to say we don't need to change everything all the time. Actually, sometimes the data is going to tell us to keep something for five
0: years. We've seen that with a client very recently. Yeah, confidence is is a great word Mm. because... Uh, there seems to be a lot of uh, distrust in the AI space stroke the digital computer space because we just don't know how the algorithms work. So, 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 so what, one of the great
1: things I think AI can start to do is that when a CEO, which as we know, sales are flagging, first thing they look towards mm. is marketing. Mm-hmm. And they go, okay, off this, um, we need to have a new brand campaign and things like that. We need to radically change. If marketers had a model... That was sitting there, an AI model that was sitting there off the right data. They could easily then go, well, okay, if we change our creative like this, if then, yeah, um, it's going to have this impact because our decay is going to increase all these kind of other factors. Yeah, you can pull the levers and start to play pull out the levers exactly, mm. and and then you and then the CEO will go, okay, well, I don't want to do that. So what do do I do? And then you can start to say, well, if you give us another hundred thousand in this particular channel. <laughs> and you give us $20,000 to fix the uh, performance of this channel's offer, then we're going to be able to lift sales by this much. So it starts to change the conversation. I think, you know, with a lot of these tools, we can start to equip CMOs in particular with the tools to confidently have discussions
0: with CFOs yeah. and CEOs. Which is powerful. I guess the CMO obviously... Back at the table uh, with the c 100%. And, and more value, talking value as opposed to and we and, and, and we
1: fundamentally believe that the opportunity in data and AI around marketing is to get that ta- seat at the table back and to use that to accurately predict forecast growth in a way that actually shows the CEO and the CFO how best to invest
0: in growth. Fantastic. I think it was, uh, it was Yaz and the plastic population, they sang a song that was called The Only Way Is Up. Exactly. I get that sense with you. Magnificent. Henry, thank you for coming in. We're out of time. I just have one final question. Mm. Uh, When you're playing bowls on Dangar Island against a robot, who would win?